everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope that this is finding you safe and warm. Uh, glad that we can be back in the studio when we have inclement weather and that all of you can tune in this way. Uh, certainly not the best of circumstances, but we'll take what we can get. Um, by the way, if this is your first time here or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff. And my prayer is that you find something meaningful today because we believe that God has something meaningful for you. The pandemic has been a major disruption, has it not? I mean, I think that's kind of the understatement of the year. It's been a challenge to adjust to these new sets of circumstances and we have to wisely consider what we're doing, who we're doing it with, how we're doing it, when we're doing it, all of those factors, and we're constantly thinking about this idea of safety. And frankly, it's exhausting. I, I don't know about you, but it, it really takes a lot of mental energy to consider all of those types of factors. But there's two things that I know are true. Well, at least two things that I know are true. And here's the first one. God was not surpri surprised by COVID-19. This did not take him by surprise. He did not wake up one day and say, uh-oh. In fact, I don't think uh-oh is in God's vocabulary <laughs> just because he's God. So he's not, he's not surprised by any of this. And, and here's the second thing I know um, to be true. Jesus is the head of the church. Um, at least he's head of this church. Well, I can't speak for all of them because I'm not responsible for anyone but but Thrive Church, and so Jesus is the head. And, and here's the thing, based on those two truths, I have a suspicion that I wanna share with you. I suspect that the Holy Spirit wants to do something with this massive uh, change that we're experiencing. Like maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want us to go back to the way things were. Let me say that again. Based on the fact that God's not surprised by COVID-19 and Jesus is head of the church, I suspect that the Holy Spirit wants to do something with this massive shift that seems to be occurring. And I don't think that he wants us to go back to business as usual. I really don't. And since the beginning of the pan pandemic, I've been haunted by this particular verse. And I want to share it with you. It goes like this in Isaiah chapter 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It's funny, but um, new looks different than old. <laughs> Right? I mean, um, we understand that. It looks very different than old. But I think that what's happening here is it gives us an opportunity to go back to God and ask him, God, what, what are you doing? If you don't want us to go back to business as usual, what is it that, that you're looking forward to? Where are you leading us? Where are you getting? And more importantly, how can we be a part of the thing that you're doing? I think that's what's going on here. Now, all of this serves as a backdrop to something that's been stirring in me that I want to share with you. 
It's often crossed my mind and I feel like it's gaining a, a sense of importance, not necessarily urgency, but definitely importance. And it comes from this idea, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I, I've been, been troubled for a long time um, by what I read in the Bible and what I see practiced in the church, specifically my church or the churches that I've pastored over the years. What I read and what I see don't often match up. I'm, I'm seeing two different things. Here's what I mean. Let me, let me give an example of this. And it comes right back to the simplicity of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 40, uh, 42, Acts 2, starting with verse 42. It's talking about the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do we see that kind of church? Well, parts of it, I think, uh, we see happening, um, whether at Thrive Church or at other, in other congregations. I mean, we, we tend to meet and we tend to eat. In fact, every now and then you have to have that eating, meeting kind of a thing. And we, so we see that, and, and of course, there's always some type of prayer, hopefully if you're engaged in a small group that you're praying for one another, um, and certainly some generosity. I mean, there's you know, quite a bit of generosity going on in this passage, but you know, we do see some of that. But here's what we ignore. We ignore signs and wonders. And that's a key part of this passage. There's this sense of awe that's going on because of signs and wonders. And I get it. I, I totally do. It's mysterious to us. And, and sometimes um, when we're, we're praying for something, we risk it and nothing happens. And, and so out of, I guess, fear of failure, we choose not to risk anything at all. We don't even try. And so we, we tend to ignore this idea of signs and wonders. And let's be honest, there are some people who have made signs and wonders kind of the circus-like thing, and, and a lot of us don't really want to be a part of that. But the truth of the matter is, this notion of signs and wonders has been a part of the church since the very beginning. And so we read about these things, but we don't necessarily see them happening in our churches. And, and it raises so many questions for me. It makes me uncomfortable that we don't see those things. And I really feel like we need to address those. And, and here's the problem. Here's the problem with all of that. Jesus said it very clearly. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That's a big deal because Jesus was doing miracles as well as preaching. 
He was doing these things at the same time. And so the, the notion that's under all of this uh, is that when we're connected to him, we're going to do the things that he did. And according to this, even greater things than that. You know, Jesus talked about good news about this idea of heaven coming to earth and he healed the sick and he cast out evil spirits and he raised the awareness of love and elevated the value of people and and all kinds of things like that. And we're supposed to do greater things than those. And again, we see this uh, right at the end of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to all creation. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So again, we have this notion of signs and wonders. We have these miraculous types of events that seem to be a normal part of the church expression, at least in the first century. And here's my personal issue. Where are the signs and wonders in our church? And there's this part of me, I got to be honest, I feel like we're missing out on some things, the, the expression of what the church is. Now, that's not to say that, you know, we're chasing after the signs and wonders per se, but rather there's some evidence there in signs and wonders that God's spirit is active. And I want to talk about that. And recently, um, I came across a book that's kind of challenged my understanding of evangelism. And what I mean by evangelism is helping other people find and follow Jesus. Um, that, that's my simple definition, my working definition of evangelism. And I know that um, personally, I've kind of adopted a position of, you know, being available. I want to make friends with people that I know and be there when life gets messy because I know one thing's for certain, life eventually gets messy for everybody at some level. And you've probably experienced that too. And if you haven't, don't worry, it's coming. It's going to happen. And I think in, that in the last 20, maybe 30 years, most congregations, most churches have adopted what we call a friendship or lifestyle form of evangelism. Um, I remember a number of years ago, somebody made this comment uh, that I think uh, captures this idea of friendship evangelism. You love them uh, until they ask you why. You love them so hard and you love them so long that eventually they're going to ask you why. That's, that's kind of the basic understanding of friendship or lifestyle evangelism. And, and frankly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Statistically speaking, 80 plus percent of American congregations rely on this form as the sole form of evangelism. And, and I understand why, because going door to door is not very effective anymore. And there's a lot of questions about what is effective when it comes to evangelizing our neighbors. And here's the other statistic that I think is, is interesting. Less than 5%, like closer to 2 or 3% of your average American Christian will actually help somebody find and follow Jesus. Less than, less than 5%. People, when Jesus told us very clearly, go and make disciples, 
And so there's this great commission piece of the puzzle, and it seems like um, we need to look hard at what we're doing and why we're doing it. It seems like our preferred method isn't as effective um, as we'd like it to be. It's not an effective Great Commission kind of tool. And if you think about it, this makes a lot of sense. Look, would you change your beliefs or adopt some new beliefs if you were befriended by, say, a Muslim? Or how about a Hindi? Or a Buddhist? Or a Mormon? If you were befriended by someone of that faith and they wanted to bring you into their faith, would you change your beliefs? And, and yet, that's what we attempt all the time. We seem to think if we make friends, if we live a certain lifestyle, it'll be attractive to them, then eventually they'll make the conversion. But it's not true in reverse. If we have that type of an experience with someone else, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to jump on their bandwagon. It's almost like, and I, I, I hesitate to use this term, but I think it's true. It's almost like we have this certain arrogance that somehow my, my religion, my faith is better than yours and you're just going to see it in me and you're going to come along for the ride. And I don't, I don't think that that's very effective. At least it hasn't proven to be effective. <laughs> in fact, it seems like um, the church is not necessarily growing, at least in Western cultures, at least in, in the United States. And in fact, uh, statistically speaking, again, it seems that we are shrinking. And the pandemic has only made it worse in some cases. And furthermore, and, and I got to be honest, this was a painful realization for me personally. There doesn't seem to be any biblical evidence for this type of evangelism, this lifestyle or friendship evangelism. Now, before I continue, um, I'm not saying don't make friends. <laughs> I'm not saying don't reach out to your neighbors. I'm not saying don't try to build relationships with them. No, um, you, you should build relationships with others and you should try to earn a voice in their lives when things go wrong because we know they will. And yes, some people have come to faith through friendship. It's just low statistically. So I'm not saying toss out the whole thing. Just understand that friendship evangelism, if it is the sole form, uh, the sole method that we use in order to engage our neighbors and, and the people around us, the effectiveness is questionable. And so the author um, that I'd been reading did an extensive study and he used the phrase, put their faith in him, as kind of his, his basis of the study. Wherever he found that phrase, put their faith in him, put their faith in Jesus, uh, he started to um, kind of track that throughout the New Testament. And one of the things that he found, I thought this was interesting, 50% of all conversion stories were directly tied to a miraculous event. Either they experienced it themselves or they witnessed it among a group of people. Fully half of the conversion stories that we read in the New Testament are directly tied to miraculous events. The other 50% were responding um, to a clear presentation of the good news given by someone 
who had the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, you have half the stories being related to miraculous events, the other half related to uh, clear presentations, um, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all of the factors leading um, to a New Testament conversion, it seems um, that they were, they were directly related to a person's empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And so here's, here's the thing I want you to, to, to really think about right now is that the presence of God matters. You know, we, we talk about this all of the time, but the, the presence of God matters. And when we read through the New Testament, it's when somebody brought the presence of God and either spoke or was a uh, conduit for, for signs and wonders, that's when things began to happen. That's when people began to believe. And it's important for us to think about that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote about it this way in Romans 15. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. That's, that's a stunning statement because Paul founded a whole lot of churches and helped a whole lot of people find and follow Jesus. And he comes back to this idea of the Spirit of God being the empowerment of it and the signs and wonders and the way he spoke different places he would go and he would engage in these types of things. He would start with giving pre, uh, uh, clear presentations of the good news. And sometimes it would be followed by signs and wonders. We see both of these things evident. Look, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is if we have any hope of fulfilling the Great Commission or bringing heaven to earth, it is only by and with God's Spirit. I heard uh, Bill Johnson, the uh, pastor at, at Bethel, out in Redding, California. We sing lots of their songs around here, uh, Bethel music. But Bill Johnson made this statement that really has stuck with me. He says, the Holy Spirit is in me for me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's helping me to, to uh, stay holy and righteous and convicting me of sin and the Holy Spirit's in me for me. However, the Holy Spirit is upon me for you. And I think that's an important distinction to make that when we carry the Holy Spirit with us, we're, we don't just have ourselves in mind, but we also have, have other people in mind as well. And that's what brings heaven to earth. You carry him with you into all creation. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that you are carrying him with you. And so the presence of God truly matters. And, and isn't there a part of you that wants that? Isn't there a part of you that wants to be an instrument in bringing heaven to earth, to actually seeing that occur? I know I do. One of the reasons why I, I got into ministry but the fact remains that you don't have to be a professional or vocational pastor in order to see how 
the Holy Spirit can indwell you and change the environment that you're in, whether it's your workplace or your neighborhood or even your family or wherever it is that you're engaged. If you are in the presence of God, the presence of God is in you, you bring that with you. And remember, the presence of God is his power. So keep that in mind. Don't you want to be a part of bringing heaven to earth? Don't you want to see that? And I do. This uh, series, um, it's a short series. It's called Inner Work. And around here, we talk about chasing after the presence of God and, and journaling. Uh, we do a lot of journaling. We try to interact with God on paper, largely so that we have a record of the things that he says and the things that he's doing. And I want you to see some of what I'm working through. Some of the things that I'm um, processing in, in my journal. You see, as a disciple, we believe that, that discipleship comes down to slowing down so we can hear the voice of God because that's normal for God to speak to his people. We process those things both individually in our journals or um, in a community, like with a small group of others. And then we respond to the things that we hear. So it's really about listening and responding. But I want you to see, you know, some of these things that God is stirring in me and some of the things that I'm dealing with in my, in my journal. Look, Jesus is the leader. I am his associate. Jesus is the leader of Thrive Church. Let me just declare that up front. I am his associate and all of the staff are simply associates. And I think as a church, what we want to do is recapture the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's on my heart. And, and it's probably there for a reason. It's been stirring for a couple of years now. And, and what I'm doing in my, my journaling and, and just in my processing with the rest of the staff is I'm asking Jesus about it. I'm going to him directly and saying, what are you up to here? You're not surprised by the pandemics, and I don't think that you want us to go back to business as usual. So what is it that you want to do? And this idea of the presence of God and the role of signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit keep coming up over and over and over. A few weeks ago, I noticed um, at the end of our worship service that there was a significant presence of God. Um, I remember uh, we were at Tulsa Ballet, and um, and I'm standing there, and Dan's leading worship, and it just I just feel it. It just felt like a heaviness, but I don't mean that negatively. Um, it was it was just the sense that God was there, and I remember I asked him, um, Lord, is there anything that you want to do? Do you want to do something here? Do you want to? Um, you know, move or act in, in such a way, and silence. It was silence. Um, I didn't hear anything. And I believe, personally, that we are supposed to be enjoying His presence. And you know, I do. I like when um, we're singing together, and even though we have masks on our faces, we can still hear other people singing, yeah, it's a little bit muffled, but that's okay. I would rather hear it than not hear it. And in fact, that's one of the things I'm missing, um, you know, hearing all of you singing when we're together. And, and I think we're supposed to enjoy that. 
But I also believe that there will be a day where God wants to move. I, I, I truly believe that, and I want to be ready for it. I want to be ready if God chooses to move among us. I'm not saying that it's going to be a full-blown revival. I don't, I don't know any of those things, but I believe that when God is present, eventually his power is going to begin to flow, and I, I really want to be a part of that. Revival tends to start with, with worship. It's when we acknowledge his majesty and when we acknowledge his goodness and we speak it out loud and we begin to enjoy those moments. And so when we do experience um, his presence, we feel it a little bit different in the room. We need to lean into that a little bit more. So here we are entering this season that we call Lent. <clears throat> which is um, usually marked by fasting, praying, and repentance, but it's also, it also includes worship. You know, when we ascribe some worth to God, we say, you know what, you are, you're worthy, Lord, of my attention and my time, my praise, um, my personality, my talent, um, my money, all of those things those components that we've been t talking about for the last year. And what I'm hoping that we can do throughout this Lent process, or the Lent season, is that we can ask for more of his presence. In fact, um, as you know, uh, we're, we're doing a couple of things for Lent. First is uh, we're reading a small little book. By the way, they're still available. Please let us know if you've purchased one and you need a copy. It's a daily reader, and um, it, will, it will help you just kind of connect with God and a couple of pages, a little, some reflection questions if you want to read them every single day for 40 days. Um, but we're also going to take Thursdays and fast. You can do the entire day. You can just do a single meal, what, whatever makes sense for you. Um, and the first week, this one coming up on the 18th, we are fasting and we are asking God for more of his presence. Or, if you prefer, um, more awareness of his presence because I do think that God is um, usually around and sometimes we just don't necessarily notice him and I, I want you to notice him. I want you to experience God in fresh ways, new ways, exciting ways frankly because life with God is an adventure. With his spirit it's an adventure and we see that throughout the New Testament and don't we want to see that in our own church. So as you enter the Lent season, I'm going to ask you to worship a little bit harder, to lean in a little bit closer, and to ask God for more of his presence. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for your word and for stirring in our hearts. And God, thank you for bringing heaven to earth and allowing us to be a part of that enterprise, that endeavor, that adventure that you began. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this Lenten season, you would stir our hearts even more for your presence, for your power, for the things that you want to do. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is as it is already in heaven. Lord, we want to see that happen. Would you show us that aspect of your glory um, that we would simply follow you and what you're doing because we're spending time with you? Allow us to be a part of this kingdom enterprise, heaven crashing to earth and changing the circumstances as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection which changed everything for everybody. Help us to see that bigger picture. And we're going to thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.